Good morning. Welcome. Glad that you are here. I am going to go out on a limb and guess that most of you have had a pretty busy weekend. They all seem to be pretty busy. It's a holiday weekend. Um, Tomorrow we celebrate Veterans Day. I want to say thank you to all of our veterans. I know we have a lot of veterans in the audience here this morning. And thank you for your willingness and your uh, ability and sacrifices you made serving. So thank you for that. I heard a story about two police officers who responded to a uh, pretty serious traffic accident. And they came on the scene, and there's a car, and inside the car are a mother, a father, two children, all unconscious in the car. Almost immediately, ambulances showed up, EMTs started working on the injured people, but the police officers noticed also inside the car was a monkey. Now, all the people in the car were unconscious, but the monkey was crawling out conscious, so the police officers think maybe the monkey can help us figure out what happened here. So they asked the monkey, what was the dad doing right before the accident? And the monkey did this. <laughs> said, oh, so the father was drinking. Well, what was the mom doing right before the accident? And the monkey did this. <laughs> so the dad's drinking and the mom's yelling at the dad. The monkey's nodding. Well, how about the kids? What were they doing? And the monkey does this. Also, the dad's drinking, the mom's yelling at him, the kids are fighting in the back seat. And the monkey goes, well, no wonder there was an accident. It was almost inevitable that there would be an accident. They start to walk away, and one of the officers turns back and asks the monkey, what were you doing this whole time? And the monkey does this. (laughs) Yeah, I think we would all agree that's a problem, right? When you have the wrong person driving the car, you got a problem. I think we'll all agree with that. Listen, we are right at the finish line of our pretty long sermon series through the book of Acts. But I'm actually going to put that on hold for a couple weeks because I need to talk about and you need to be praying about something that we are uh, entering a process that we're in here at Bay Area. And that is the addition of elders to lead and serve this family. Spirit-ordained men chosen to lead and feed and and protect us. Additional men chosen to drive the car, so to speak. Help us make decisions to become more like Jesus. And I know probably some of you are thinking, wow, where did this come from? That's the first I've heard of this, kind of out of the blue. Let me assure you, our current leadership have been praying and fasting over this process, discussing this for, for months, And I'm in total agreement. We need more elders here at Bay Area. And I'm convinced that God has raised up men who will bless the kingdom and and bless our families in this role. Now, if you're a guest of ours, you might be thinking, wow, what a terrible day to visit this place. No, this is a perfect day for you to visit this place. Because this is what's important to us. You know, when you visit a church for the first or second time, what you're trying to do is figure out what's important to these people. I mean, you'll see things and hear things. I'll ask questions about that later. But, but what I really want to know is what is really important to these people? Let me tell you what's important to us. Jesus is important to us. Living like Jesus. Being like Jesus. Teaching other people about Jesus. That's what's important to us. We want to be like Jesus. But those things don't just happen by themselves. It takes a commitment to God's word. 
It takes a humility of spirit. It takes a community of believers. And it takes a willingness to follow God's plan. And part of God's plan is for his church to be led by men that we call elders. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next two weeks, actually. And I'm going to use the term elder for for a while because it's biblical. Scripture also refers to these men as overseers, bishops, pastors, shepherds. The Bible makes it clear that the Lord's church is to be organized. But it's also clear that the Lord's church is not an organization. It's a body with every part important, every member vital, every talent necessary to ensure the well-being of the entire family. And I am convinced that the work that we do in the church, through the church, it's the most important work in the world. We're in the Jesus business. We're We're in the eternity business. I'm also convinced maybe the most important decision that any local church will make is the decision when it comes to who leads that congregation. I don't know that there's more of a defining moment in the history of a church than the addition of leadership. And yet I've seen a lot of places handle this process in almost a casual manner. Too often people enter this kind of process with sort of a preconceived notion of of who should be uh, in that position. And sometimes even go so far as to make the mistake of trying to uh, take Scripture, pick and choose Scripture, and make that Scripture fit the man that they believe ought to be leading their congregation rather than allow the man to fit the Scripture. We don't want to be guilty of that. Now, typically, when we talk about uh, the addition or the installation of elders, we'll go to two passages, Titus and Timothy. And they're good passages, by the way. They're great passages. In fact, we're going to go there in just a minute. But I'm going to suggest that if that's where we begin and if that's where we end, I think we've probably missed most of what the Bible has to say on the subject of elders. But still, it is a good place to start. So let's start there. The book of Titus, chapter 1. Paul writes this. The reason I left you in Crete was that you may straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then Paul is going to go into one of his famous lists describing what the qualifications, as we like to call them, are of an elder. Verse 6. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it's been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Now, keep your finger in that passage. We're going to come back and make some observations. But take a look also at the book of 1 Timothy, the third chapter. Thank you, Gary. I've been working all weekend not to lose my voice. Second service might be 10 minutes long. I don't know. But I think I can get through this one. 
First Timothy chapter 3. This is again Paul speaking. Here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, the overseer must be above reproach, a husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Those two lists in the books of Titus and Timothy are similar, but they're not exactly alike. I put them up here kind of um, for comparison's sake, kind of the bullet points here so we can compare Titus and Timothy. Um, As I said, the, the lists are similar, but a little bit different. We are very familiar with those two passages. And I'm going to encourage you to be reading and and praying over those two passages in the coming weeks. But again, I'm going to say, if that's the only passages we look at, I think the bar is actually fairly low for the requirements to serve in the Lord's church as an elder. I've heard preachers say all my life, rightfully so, with the exception of being married and having children, every single Christian should aspire to those those, uh, aspects. And that's true. But I would argue that shouldn't an elder, shouldn't that bar be a little bit higher? Those standards, those standards taken out of context, again, I think it's a low level of expectation. Not pursuing dishonest gain. Not given to drunkenness. Not violent Surely being a shepherd requires more than a man who's not a criminal, right? And surely being a shepherd in the Lord's church requires a different level of wisdom and insight and spirituality. You know, we're very good at kind of focusing on the tangible elements, those things where we can check a box. Is he married? Yes. One wife? Yes. Does he have kids? Yes. Good kids? Yes. Does he teach? Yes. And if we can kind of check all those boxes in Titus and Timothy, then we claim that a man is, uh, there's no spiritual objection, and we deem him qualified to serve as an elder in the Lord's church. But I think sometimes we're guilty of overlooking some of those more subtle requirements. Is he blameless? Is he holy? Is he able to refute those who deny the trustworthy message? It is so easy to get hung up on interpreting the rules correctly, getting right the number of wives and how old his children are. How many people does he invite into his home? And, And those things are important. Those things are very important. Paul would not have put them in Scripture if they weren't, twice for that matter. But again, I'm afraid sometimes we get so focused on the checklist that we miss the heart of the Scriptures. And I think there's some much deeper concerns found in those two passages. Again, look at those lists. Let me highlight a couple. Things like blameless, upright, love what is good, be holy, be disciplined, be gentle. Those terms are so rich with meaning, but they're a little bit vague, aren't they? They're a little bit harder to quantify, maybe a little bit harder to define. 
We like yes or no questions. We want black and white tests. But in this process, there's just a lot of things that there's a lot of gray in this process. Now, common sense alone would tell us that the spiritual requirements are more important than those tangible standards. Again, those tangible standards are important. But shouldn't we be more focused on men who are holy, blameless, gentle, than we are on how many children he has? See, I want someone who loves what is good to be my shepherd. And I want someone who's holy to be my shepherd. I want someone who's gentle to be my shepherd. I don't think it was ever Paul's intention for Titus and Timothy to serve as a be-all, end-all checklist as we think about this process. Personally, I believe that the bar for elders is set so much higher than what we read about just in Timothy and Titus because I believe there's another component to this whole process that we very rarely talk about, sometimes even ignore, and that's the role of the Holy Spirit in this entire process. We're familiar with uh, Acts chapter 20. Verse 28, uh, Paul is talking to, to elders uh, from the Ephesian church, and he says this, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Paul tells those men, you have been made overseers by the Holy Spirit. You have been ordained by the Holy Spirit. You have been gifted by the Spirit of God, to serve as overseers. He's even a little bit more focused when he writes to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors. Now, in this passage, when he says pastors, he's not talking about pastor like me, a preacher. He's using the phrase there as an elder, as an overseer. Some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That list is talking about elders being gifted by God for the well-being of the entire group. The ability to lead well, to shepherd well. It's a gift given by the Holy Spirit. I believe that there are men who have been gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve as spiritual leaders. And just as not all men are gifted to be evangelists and not all men are gifted to be teachers, not all men have the spiritual gift of leadership, and that's okay. I think even if you could check every box in Titus and Timothy, that doesn't necessarily mean that the Holy Spirit has gifted you with leadership. Now, the same conclusion is suggested in Romans chapter 12. Paul says, Just as each of us is one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. And he goes on to say, If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let them encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let them give generously. If it's leadership, if his spiritual gift is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. There are those who have been gifted with spiritual leadership skills. 
Those whom God has blessed this way, I think, should be using their gifts. I think we've all been blessed with gifts. We need to be using our gifts. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now you're the body of Christ. And each one of you, each one of you is part of it. We know this passage. We know this teaching. Church is a body, different parts of the body. The foot's just as important as the eye. We get that. Verse 28, And in the church God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, and those able to help others, those with gifts of administration. You might be reading from translation that says gifts of governing, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Believe that there are men that God has empowered and that the Spirit has equipped in a very special way to lead, to oversee, to shepherd. And listen, there is nothing more frustrating, and I think really kind of miserable, than being asked or expected to do something that you haven't really been gifted to do. Now, you think about the church and all the tasks that go on in the church. There's an awful lot of things going on here in this church. There's an awful lot of work being done. And thank you, God, that I don't have to do it. Because there's so many things that I would be so bad at doing that so many of you are so good at doing. We complement each other. We all have different strengths. We have different weaknesses. We have different talents and different passions. We've been gifted by the Spirit of God. And I think too often when we talk about eldership and and adding elders, the Holy Spirit never comes into the conversation. But He has to, doesn't He? Who can best lead the church? It's those who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do just that. Now, I'll say this. Not everyone who's been blessed with the gift of leadership is an elder in the church... There's a lot of people who are leading and influencing in different areas. But I would hope that people that we are considering to serve as an elder, I would hope that those are men who have been gifted by the Holy Spirit as leaders. And I mentioned before, some of the qualities that God expects from his leaders, they're black and white. You know, We can see them or we can't, but many aren't. And the truth is, someone who might be a perfect fit for one congregation to serve as an elder might not be a perfect fit for another congregation. And that's okay. I think that's how it should be. But I want to share with you just a couple qualities that we're asking uh, to be considered regarding men to serve as elders here at Bay Area. Again, some are obvious, some aren't. I've sort of um, uh, condensed some of these together in some bullet points. We're looking for a married, older man with a proven track record of raising godly children in a loving home. We're talking about a family man. A man with experience in managing a family, raising and training children, and loving his wife. Now, we could talk about this for a long time, but for me, it's one of those things, you know it when you see it. This, we're talking about a Christ-like man leading a Christ-centered family, and he's been doing it long enough that we all can agree this guy knows what he's doing. Some things you only learn through experience. We're looking also for a proven man, 
who loves God, loves God's Word, knows God's Word, and is able to apply God's Word. Obviously, we're talking about a spiritual man, but also a man who's proven. Someone who's going to help us be more like Jesus. A man who's already a leader. You know, you you talk to people who are thinking about getting married, and sometimes you hear uh, uh, somebody say, well, I'll marry him, and then he'll change. Or I'll marry her, and then she'll change. And you know, that's kind of a disastrous strategy for marriage, right? Amen. Amen. It's kind of a disastrous strategy for uh, adding leadership as well. We're looking for men who have already exhibited the fact that they're influencers and they're leaders. And again, I know several men who are going to be great elders one day, but maybe not today. And that's okay. In fact, that's how it should be. We're always growing, right? We're looking for a man who's blameless, holy, disciplined. A man who is Christ-minded, Christ-centered, and Christ-like. And again, now we're talking about qualities that are a little bit harder to put your finger on. But understand this, popularity is not the goal here. The goal is to be like Jesus. And the goal is to help us become more like Jesus. Listen, the gospel of grace is going to produce men of grace, and that's what we need. And then finally, as we mentioned, a man who's been gifted by God to lead his church. Now, I mentioned earlier that taken just by themselves, Timothy and Titus, I don't think set the bar that high. When you start adding in what else the Bible says about the the role of a leader in the Lord's church, the bar could not be higher. So, let me be sure you understand, we are not looking for perfect men. I'll go ahead and tell you, we don't have perfect men right now serving as elders. Amen. One of our elders. There was only one perfect man, and that was Jesus. But don't check your brains at the door either, right? I mean, if you're looking to add a secretary to your business, and the job description was, we want this individual to be uh, kind to our customers and promote good office morale, you'd expect that person to be able to type, right? You know, some of this, I, I think, we just kind of see without, you know, we just kind of know. Um, we don't expect our leaders to be perfect, but we do expect a humility of spirit. And we do expect our leaders to be like Jesus. Having said all of that, our current leadership is submitting to the congregation two men who they feel are qualified to serve in the position of elders but also two men whose talents and whose wisdom and whose servants are, we just, we just need. Uh, Daryl Brown and Jimmy DeBose are the two men who have been asked to consider accepting the position of shepherd within this family. I put a picture up of these two men with their wives. That's uh, Daryl and Faye on the left and Jimmy and Renee on the right. And I asked them for a picture of them and their wives because this is a huge commitment for their wives as well. And uh, Daryl and Jimmy both understand that. But these men, Daryl and Jimmy, after much thought, much prayer, a lot of conversations, like I said, this process has been at work behind the scenes for a long time. These two men, with a tremendous spirit of humility, I might add, have accepted that recommendation. These two men are men of God. These men have proven themselves not just by their words, but by their deeds as well, to be servants. 
two men that I know have a deep love for God's church, a deep love for God's people, a deep love for God's word, a deep love for Jesus, and a deep dependence on the Holy Spirit. Daryl and Jimmy have already proven themselves to be faithful influencers and leaders within this church. You know that. You know these men. And I'm looking forward to serving alongside both of them, continuing to work under their leadership and their direction as they join our existing elders as shepherds over this family. Now, let me answer a couple questions that you might be thinking before you have a chance to ask them. You might be sitting there thinking, what about this brother? What about that brother? Why wasn't his name brought up? Listen, I don't have to tell you, we are so blessed in this congregation with so many people that have so much talent. People who are working and serving and loving and leading in so many areas. And personally, I think there are some other men who could and one day will serve this church or some church in the capacity of elders. But again, maybe not right now. And again, that's okay. We're going to continue to work. We're going to continue to serve and to love like we always have. Listen, we're in this thing together. We're a family. We're God's family. So in this process, I'm asking for a whole lot of love. I'm asking for a whole lot of patience. I'm asking for a ton of grace as we go through this process. You might be sitting there thinking, okay, is this a done deal? I mean, is that it? Again, our current leadership spent a lot of time and effort, some, I would say, exhaustive due diligence, recognized Daryl and Jimmy as two men who have proven themselves to be qualified, proven themselves to be capable. And again, we just need their wisdom, and we need their talents. But we do want the congregation to be heard as well. So here's what I'm asking of you, Bay Area. I'm going to preach another sermon next week on this subject, really more the relationship between us sheep and, and our shepherds. But first and foremost, we are asking you to pray. I put up there, pray, 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 pray. <laughs> I want you to pray for the Lord's church and for Bay Area during this process. I would challenge you to pray and fast over this process. It's that important. If for some reason you feel one or maybe both of these brothers are not biblically qualified to serve in the role of elders, you need to make that known. Okay, how do I make that known? Well, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said, if you have an issue, if you have a problem with a brother, you go to that problem. Or you go to that brother. So if that's Jesus' recommendation, that's going to be my recommendation. If you have a problem, if you have a question, if you have an issue with either of those brothers, you go talk to those brothers. And I'm going to tell you this. Daryl and Jimmy are two of the most approachable people I've ever met in my life. They will not be offended. They will not be defensive. If you have a question a concern, maybe just a clarification. They will welcome a conversation with you. In fact, they're going to be expecting to have a lot of conversations with us. We're asking you to have those conversations in about the next three weeks because it's our intention to install these two brothers as elders uh, the 1st of December. So you have about three weeks to raise any kind of concern, question, again, clarification. And I'll say this too. Listen, 
you've got about three weeks to go to these two brothers and say, I'm with you. Let's go. To tell these brothers that you appreciate their, their sacrifice and their willingness to serve, that you're going to support them and you're going to encourage them. But again, more than anything else, I'm asking to be praying about the process. Be praying for these men, for their wives, for their families, for our current leaders and for their families. You know, a lot of people think, well, an elder, you know, an elder's wife, an elder's kids, they're, they're like everybody else. They're seen as everybody else. No, they're not. It's different. I'm just going to tell you, it's different. They're viewed differently. They're judged differently. They're held to a higher standard, rightfully so. But again, these men and their families, they deserve our grace. (laughs) And they deserve our support. Okay, let me close by sharing with you a statement that that Peter made uh, towards the end of his life. And it just so happens that Peter makes this statement, and uh, he's talking to a group of elders. And I love it because it really shows old Peter's heart. It's towards the end of the book of First Peter. In chapter 5, Peter writes this, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who will also will share in the glory to be revealed. Peter is sitting, he's writing this letter that we call the book of 1 Peter. He's talked about a lot of things in this book, and now he's getting towards the end of his letter, and he thinks, I want to say something to the elders. He's an elder himself, elder to elder. I want to say something to these men. And I can almost envision Peter sitting at a desk somewhere, thinking to himself, what can I tell them? What can I share? How can I encourage these men? And I sort of wonder if Peter doesn't think back to a time that he had a really emotional conversation with Jesus on a beach one day. Because on a beach one day, Jesus told Peter something. I don't think Peter quite got it. But now, years later, as Peter is thinking, what can I tell these men? What can I leave with them that they really need to know? And I wonder if he sort of smiled to himself as he dipped his quill in the ink and wrote be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care to the elders among you be shepherds of God's flock and you get a sense that in 1 Peter the writer really understands what he's writing he understands the depth of the charge that he is leaving and again I wonder if he thought back to John 21 Remember, after the resurrection, before the ascension, Jesus appears to the apostles, they have a meal on the beach, and then Jesus has this very emotional conversation with Peter. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. 
take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. You know, you get the sense that Peter didn't quite get it back there on the beach. But by the time he sits down to write the book of 1 Peter, he knows exactly what Jesus was talking about. And he realizes the importance of Jesus' words. And so Peter's instructions to those elders that he loved was shepherd the flock. You shepherd the flock. To Daryl and Jimmy, to our current elders, to anyone who would one day aspire to be an elder, Jesus is still asking the same question. Do you love me? And he's going to ask it over and over again. Do you love me? And if the answer is, you know I love you, then his charge is going to be the same. You feed my sheep. You shepherd the flock. You take care of my lambs. I, for one, am thankful that we have shepherds leading this congregation who love Jesus enough to shepherd me and to take care of us. So I'm going to beg you to be praying about this process. Be praying about the, uh, the men who have been um, put before you, uh, for them and their families, and for Bay Area. Uh, this, is, this is a big historical moment. And I say that with all sincerity. This is a historical moment in the life of this church. And we certainly want God and God's Spirit to be involved in it. Listen, I know this was a very different kind of sermon. Uh, I'm not going to apologize for it at all, but I am going to say that I know there's some things going on in your life that maybe you just need the prayers of people who love you. And as we wrap up this uh, part of the service, uh, as always, we want to give you that opportunity to share with us or have, have people pray with you and for you. Um, if something's going on in your life this week, and you just need the prayers of, of the church. There'll be some people at the front of the auditorium, and you can come and let us know, and we'll certainly pray with you and minister to you in any way that we can. Let's stand and sing.